0: Good morning, Ascent Church. It is so good to be with you on this morning, Uh, if I haven't met you yet. My name is Maurice. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am delighted. Uh, First and foremost, I'm delighted because one service, come on. We get to just get in here, knock it out, clap it up. There we go. I got a response, church, already. Well, listen, I want to first start out by saying happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there, father figures as well, um, for just doing what you do, the things that take place there. Uh, I want to do something real quickly, actually, and I don't know how this is going to go, people, so just bear with me. I'm going to call my dad, FaceTime, and wish him a happy Father's Day. He's in California, um, so he could be shirtless laying down in his bed saying, hey, what's up, son? Or I don't know. So just real quickly, bear with me. I want to say happy Father's Day to my dad. Here we go. It's calling. It's calling. Is he going to answer? Is he going to be a good dad and answer? Yes, he is. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Just wanted to say what's up, dad. (laughs) Happy Father's Day to you. I'll take you later. I got to preach. I'll see you later. (laughs) All right, he definitely was surlates with his face open, with his mouth dropped. So <laughs> I, I, I predict that right. I predicted that correctly. Well, listen, uh, we want to get started today. Like Bill said, we are in a series right now uh, entitled Unfollow. And I'm excited about this series because what we're looking at in Jesus' life is that no matter where he went, if you look at his message, he always encouraged people to follow. He always asked people to follow. Put down your cross or put, lay down your life and follow me. He he continued to say these words, follow me, follow me, follow me. And this month we've been looking at that and we've decided to look at actually what are the things that people actually decided to press unfollow on. Because it's interesting that Jesus had this message of follow me. But there are a few things that Jesus entered into where people said unfollow. I don't want to go into that conversation. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. So they pressed unfollow. And it's interesting to me that they would watch Jesus walk on water, that they would watch Jesus heal someone from cancer, they would watch Jesus do something for their loved one, and yet, because things were uncomfortable, because there was some point of tension, people decided to unfollow. Ascent, today, we lean into the topic of racial justice. This is one topic that we see not only in our current day and time, people pressing unfollow, but it was even in Jesus' time That when he began to talk about ethnic harmony, when he began to lean into loving your neighbor, people decided to unfollow. It's interesting to me that there's only a few topics that people touch on and people decide to unfollow on. For whatever reasons that may be, because you can talk about sex trafficking, you can talk about homelessness, you can talk about saving three-legged dogs, whatever it may be. People are okay, but when you start to edge into certain conversations, people press unfollow. In a sense, I wanna start from the very beginning and say if we continue to choose as a community to press unfollow, we lose our voice and our witness in the earth. If we don't have this conversation, if we can't sit in the tension and the discomfort, we will as a community continue to lose our voice. We will be a place of hypocrites, a place full of cheap diversity, a place full of people that are so heavenly bound, but they're no earthly good. Today, the way that I want to detail unfollow, which many of us are tempted to do, which many of us, if we're honest, fall subject to doing unfollow. I wrote down is nothing but a cheap default response to return to the comfortable, self-sustaining, and familiar. This is a hard truth that we sit in, and all of us fall subject to unfollow sometimes. I know I have. I know as I look at this past year, and I look at some of the things that have come up around this topic, to the best of my ability, I just want to turn everything off. I want to press pause. I want to move away because it's hard to do. It's hard to talk about. Now, there's two groups under the sound of my voice that I recognize, and you may be here right now, and you're a person invited you to church, and you drove by, or you saw a sign, and you may have been walking by, or whatever the case may be, we always get people that have Googled us and seen something on our website, and they decided to join us, and that may be you today. I and mean, you may have no faith background at all. You sit in a unique position today that I encourage you to stay at sitting in. You sit in a position right now on today of listening in on a family conversation. A lot of my time today is going to be addressing our faith community. But you get to be that little brother that leans in, puts their door, their uh, ear to the door to a family conversation of honesty and truth-telling. And then there's everyone else that's under the sound of my voice that I recognize that faith community. I want you to sit and not press unfollow, because this is an area that I am well aware that I'm entering into. I'm well aware of the spectrum underneath under the sound of my voice right now. I want to be very careful and let you know that there's actually been lots of prayer that has gone into this moment. There has been lots of calling mentors and counseling, knowing the space that I'm entering into. I'm not naive to how triggering this conversation can be. There are people in this room across the spectrum, under the sound of my voice, there are people in this room that are CNN lovers, Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper. There are people in this room that are Fox News lovers, Tucker Carlson, Hannity. There are people in this room that love MSNBC. I don't really watch it, so I can't give you what the personalities are. There are people under the sound of my voice who are all lives matter. There are people under the sound of my voice that are black lives matter. There are people under the sound of my voice that are blue lives matter. People under the sound of my voice right now who voted one way in November and voted a different way in November. There are people under the sound of my voice right now as I speak who are defund the police, abolish the police, pro police, and all three in one. I don't know how that happens, but our world is crazy. I'm well aware of the space that I'm entering into, and even as I bring up those triggering words, some people that are squirming in their seats right now, but isn't this exactly the road that Jesus traveled? When he began to talk about his message of love and inclusivity, he recognized that there were people who were Samaritans, Jewish, Gentiles, there were people under the sound of his voice who were zealots and tax collectors, groups that were very opposing to one another. And yet, Jesus entered into the tough conversation, the hard place, the uncomfortable place. And a sense, if we continue to be a place that not us, I'm talking about C as in big church, if we continue to be a big church, a big community, community of faith that presses unfollow, then we will continue to lose our voice, and our witness to how good God is. People are watching. People are looking to recognize and see, what is the church doing? Is it full of divisive rhetoric, conversation? Or is it people, despite opinions and beliefs, and strong opinions and beliefs, pressing in towards one another because that's what the gospel of Jesus calls us towards? If you don't catch anything else, this is what I want to bring us to. This is the table that I want to bring us to. I want to center us all on this one big idea right here, that the current racial status quo is antithetical to the kingdom of God. That's all I want to lean on today, that the status quo, the racial status quo is opposite of the kingdom of God. I want to bring us to that. I just want to land there. I want to start there, and if we can get a head nod at least there, I think we can have some movement and some hope. Now, if we can't get a head nod there and— you're just sitting there and you're just like, things are well, we had a black president and Oprah's a billionaire, so everything's all cool, then I don't know what I could do for you today. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know what I can do for you today. But if you can look at our world and you can look at even within the church and you can look at all the things happening and say, I don't care where anybody lands, there's something broken in this area of racial relations, race relations, the racial tension, the race conversation. There's so much there. There's so much tension and and all these things. It's opposite of what what we see being the kingdom of God. So inhale, exhale, breathe, let it out a little bit. I know we just went to some deep places for a second. I want to start off here for a second. Um, I was just riding, my, uh, my wife got me this one wheel. It's like a hoverboard sort of thing. And she so got it for me for my birthday in May, and it's been a fun thing, right? And so I've been riding around. I was riding around just this, past, this week. I was riding around outside on the gravel and everything, and I don't know, I hit like a slippery spot, and I went tumbling. I mean, I went face first. I was just scraped up. I was one of those moments that you get up and you look around like, who just saw me? Just, who just saw me eat all this gravel, right? And I did that, and I sat there, I came in, I'm like bloodied on my knee, and I'm like walking in, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know what this is going to look like, you know, I'm getting older now, I'm like, my recovery time is less, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, boy. So I went to the bathroom, I'm like, all right, my knee is bloody, If I can put some band, uh, you know, Band-Aid there. And then I went to my desk, and I'm like, my shoulder is burning. And so I was like, I pulled my shirt down, I'm like pulled my shirt down, and i mean, scraped, right, like scraped all the way, like past pink, white, knee, like all the whole nine, right? And I just sat there like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is funny, right? I just felt like in that moment, I just sat there and think to myself, the irony that I'm going to be speaking about race this week and underneath all this chocolate, I got some white in me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I thought to myself. I was like, all the way down to the white meat. I was just like looking at it like, this is hilarious. You know what I mean? That it just makes all the difference with this chocolate skin. Um, So I decided. uh, Next time I get pulled over, I'm just going to look at the officer like, officer, despite what you see. I'm actually white underneath all this, all right? Okay, listen, we gotta get started. You can laugh in church, ha ha ha, it's all right. Deep breath, <sighs> we're going into the deep place, all right? Let me start off by praying for a second and wanna get into what I believe God is pressing us towards. <clears throat> God, I come to you in this moment in need of your help, in need of your presence. As a person who definitely did not have it all together. A person who's working towards what it looks like of racial justice, a person who fails. I'm coming to you together right now as a community, recognizing all of us are in need of your grace and your gospel that compelled everyone from every tribe and every nation to have unity and a beautiful harmony, because that's exactly what heaven will look like. So in this moment, we do the hard thing. We choose to do the hard thing and engage this conversation, and we ask for your love and your mercy in this setting. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to read a scripture for you and found in John chapter 4. It says these words right here. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. time. Soon, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. Look at this here. For Jews, ethnic group, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, another ethnic group. Racial tension we see in Scripture. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, acknowledging the racial divide and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse four is my emphasis. He had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. There's a story of a man that lives in Atlanta on a rocking chair. And every morning, he goes out on that rocking chair on a porch, and he rocks back and forth. People walk by, life passes by, and the tale has it that he continues to sing a certain song with a certain chorus over and over and over again. That chorus, as people walk by, and as life passes by, and people get older, that man sits there every single day and sings the words... I've been down so long that being down don't bother me none. I've been down so long that being down don't bother me none. Ascent, it is my worry, it is my hesitation that as we engage this conversation, that as a community of people, we get to a place where we have now normalized dysfunction. We have now learned how to navigate racial tension so much that we now normalize it. That we look at the status quo and we just go with what the status quo is. That that we have been down so long, so to speak, using the story as a scenario, that being down don't bother me none, that we've had this conversation long enough that we don't need to have it anymore. That what we see is just how society's gonna be. People are falling. So let us just step aside and let that be the excuse. It is my hesitation. It is my concern that when we look at the society that we live in, the racial status quo, and how it's opposite of the kingdom that we sit still because of the normalization of it. And if we sit and recognize that the racial status quo is opposite of the kingdom of God, the question becomes, then what are we to do about that? What am I as an individual doing around the pursuit of racial justice or do I look at the brokenness of it and I look at scripture and the brokenness there and just say, well, I'll just sit back. Maybe that's someone else's fight. Maybe that's for a different group of people. If it's antithetical to the kingdom of God, the question is, what do we do about the pursuit of justice? Racism is a sin. We recognize this. But why does it come to a place where we become apathetic towards it? I speak in a space on today recognizing the text that we see shows us what it looks like to press into the hard conversation, the press into the hard thing around racial justice. But if we sit under the mentality that I've been down so long that down don't bother me none, then then what we do is we opt out. In some ways, we decide to unfollow. And as we talk about this conversation today, I I can't help but to think, I I wrote some things down that, and I hope you hear my heart on this, that in some ways, it's sort of the abusive spouse scenario, that that something verbally, physically, all of these different things, trauma takes place so much that that person now begins to internalize it as normal. God forbid, attribute it to love. And it goes on and on and on and on, and now that person has learned to navigate the dysfunction, the chaos, and it's not until someone from the outside steps in and looks at it and says not okay this is not okay this is not well and what Jesus does in our text it shows us what it looks like to see a status quo and do the very opposite because what our world needs now more than ever is people who will stand answer the call rise to the standard of what it looks like to love our neighbor and move in the direction of our neighbor because it's not just a lip service, but it's something that we move towards. It's something that the gospel compels. Jesus in this moment has two paths. It says he had to go to Samaria. Jesus didn't have to go to Samaria. It wasn't like it was only one route in and one route out geographically, if you look at this location, there was all sorts of ways. It took a longer way, but it's exactly what people did. And to get to Galilee, he could have went around because that's what people did. If you're a Jewish person, you don't have anything to do with Samaritans. But the text tells us he had to go to Samaria. Jesus is faced with options, though, because he's recognizing within this moment that he can take path one or he can take path two. There's options, which, little parenthetical statement, privilege comes with options. And Jesus, in this moment, could do exactly what every other Jewish person did. He could walk around Samaria. He could do what exactly what every other person did. So he's faced with path one and what many people did in that time, even the disciples in that time. They took path one. The way that I would detail path one is what they did was they took the comfortable path. They did what was familiar. They did what was the cultural norm. We don't deal with Samaritans, so let's go around. They did what go along to get along. Path one is sits in the pools of ignorance. Because I don't know, therefore, I don't engage. It's an apathy. It's a don't discuss this too much because you only... Heighten the problem when you discuss it enough. Path one is that path that continues to do what everyone else did. I would summarize path one as a prison of passivity. Jesus could go around Samaria or he can go through Samaria and he's faced with options, but for some reason, the gospel says that he had to go through Samaria. What would it be that the scripture tells us, this writer is emphasizing and leaning into that Jesus had to go through Samaria? What was it that Jesus did that brought him to Samaria, that brought him through Samaria? Well, it was path two. And I said, praise be to God for path two, because it's path two that has brought us here as a nation. It's path two. That people stood up and said, no, not again. Path two is the one that's filled with courage. Has some confrontation, but it recognizes that you have progress. You're going to face some difficult times. Path two is costly. Path two removes all excuses. Path two has a strange love. You know what strange love is, right? You ever look at two people and you're like, these two people are very different. You, you, you think this way. You think this way. You vote this way. You vote this way. But yet your friendship, you like each other. Wait, you still have lots of communion and community with one another. Wait, you come from this neighborhood and you come from this neighborhood. But yet your interaction with one another, strange, peculiar, Isn't that what we need right now? Is a strange love for people to look at us and say, how in the world is a Christian community coming together and our culture is chaotic? Well, that's what it's supposed to be. That every person, no matter what you are, no matter what your belief looks like, that you have a place and a space here. It's path two. Path two is willing to stand out. Path two is a path of bravery. Path two says, although I'm tempted to be apathetic because it therefore does not impact me, nor my livelihood or the things that I'm doing in my world, I've made it, I've done the things that I was able to do, pulled myself up by my bootstraps. But yet to choose path two means I have all of those things, I've acquired all of these things, but yet I choose to look at my neighbor, to engage a brokenness in our world to engage in a way that is opposite of what we see in culture. Path two, it's not just full of courage, it's full of bravery. Path two chooses Samaria. What is it that brought Jesus to a place where he had to go through Samaria? I got two points for you, and I'll get out your way. Number one, conversation. What brought Jesus to a point where he had to go through Samaria. There's multiple things happening in that cultural context that Jews did not discuss with or did not talk with Samarians or Samaritans. And Jesus decides to disrupt what was the norm. Jesus decides to, in some ways, do exactly what all of our disruptors of culture did. We love to quote Martin Luther King during February and all of these nice and beautiful quotes that we posted on our Facebook and our social media and our Instagram. and We'll do those different things. But Martin Luther King's life was a disruptor to culture, a disruptor to the status quo. Because what he knew God to be and what he saw was very different things. And every now and then he recognizes that the call to be peaceful It's not a call of just go to buy, get by, let bygones be bygones. That every now and then, there there will be some disruption. There will be some tension. There will be moments that people want to unfollow. And Jesus, what he does for us, it shows us the value of conversation. It's something interesting to me that we don't get enough of. Conversation. What does it look like to talk with one another? What does it look like to sit down and converse despite our differences? This is my problem that what I look at and when I see taking place is that it makes more money. I'm, I'm assuming to be divisive and debate and you go to your corner and I go to my corner, but, but we don't ever see any sort of harmony. Any sort of conversation, any sort of listening to one another. It's what Martin Luther King says when he says we fear one another because we don't know one another. And we don't know one another because we don't communicate with one another. The power of conversation. To sit and listen. Not to rebut, but to really listen to really sit in this moment. What Jesus does to this woman's story is he sits and he listens. And it's interesting that conversation around this topic has actually become a place of frustration, a place of nothing but triggering moments. And what I think is happening in our Western world that we don't talk about race nearly enough, in my opinion, We don't talk about race nearly enough and what happens is that when we don't normalize the conversation, we criticize the conversation. Whatever is not normalized is criticized. This past year, we saw that. I'm gonna just be honest with you as a church, we saw that. We decided to engage and talk about justice from a biblical standpoint. and the uproar that took place, the unfollow that took place. Now, I'm not here to stand on the side of I'm right or criticize anybody else, but once again, it's interesting that you can talk about homelessness and sex trafficking and three-legged dogs. And everybody's okay. But we talked about justice, and there was something that people didn't even want to have a conversation about. And in some ways, it was an indictment on us. We had to recognize as a, as a leadership, oh, 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 because we didn't normalize this. This is something that's being criticized. Because not only did we normalize this, I think it happens for two reasons that you get criticism in this area. Number one, you have a Bible problem. You, you can't go three, four, five pages in scripture, Old Testament or New Testament without coming across the cultural context of ethnic division, racism, a division amongst people, groups, Jew, Gentile language. When you hear nations, when you hear language like the Gentile and the Jew, the Samaritan, the, this language presses into our ethnic background. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. Paul has a lot to say about it. Moses has a lot to say about it. You can go anywhere in Scripture, but yet we bring it up one time. And therefore, whatever is not normalized is criticized. Jesus engages in a conversation I think this is what we have to live into, because number two, not only is there a Bible problem when something's not normalized, but number two, when we opt out of conversation in the church, we empower conversation and culture. When we opt out of conversation in the church, we empower conversation and culture. What do I mean? This is why we have a lot of the distractions with no biblical root of things, And yet, it's just tangents and people taking all sorts of talking points. And we left it up to culture to decide. And now it's Marxism, it's critical race theory, it's politics, it's socialism. Because when we don't normalize something in the church, when we don't have a biblical conversation in here recognizing what is Jesus' heart when he says he had to go through Samaria, it ain't got nothing to do with no politics. You heard me right. It ain't. I got Ebonics today. It ain't got nothing to do with that. But he had to go through there because it was his heart to recognize everyone is worthy of my love. Everyone is worthy of my pursuit. Everyone is worthy of me coming from heaven because this is what Jesus does. This is what it looks like. He's not just a person who talks about it. He decides to have conversation. Let's just have a cultural moment. Nudge the person next to you. Just say, give the brother an amen. Give the brother an amen. Amen. There you go. There you go. Loosen up a little bit. Help me preach this thing, y'all. We have conversation. And when we opt out of conversation in the church, we leave and empower conversation and culture. I'm here to tell you right now that it has to happen here, the church, to be the safest place to engage in the hardest of conversations. We have to be able to come together and have the difficult tension points. And although this is something that brings up a lot for me, And I've got my trauma, and I've got the moments where I've been pulled over, and the moments that with all of these things, and in some ways, it brings up a whole lot. I have to be willing to engage in conversation. People, all of us, have to discuss what Jesus is hard for us when it comes to this, because what people are doing, and what we saw this past year, is that they're looking at us. What is the church doing? And they pick at us because of all the division that we've got going on and all of the hatred and all of the pettiness. And they look at us and they say, aren't you guys supposed to be that one? But we give away our witness and the value of our voice when we don't engage in this conversation. We have to be a church that is proactive, not reactive. This is our goal. This is what we are leaning into. We got to be honest. Us, like many churches, we're Reactive to 2020, when it came to the racial tension, we were reactive to all of the instances like Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, all whatever name I don't care wherever you land on all the things. We as a church were reactive to the racial tensions, the things that were fighting in the streets. We're even reactive right now in this cultural moment of what we, uh, Israel and Palestine, and we're like, oh, oh, what, how do we? What is this? And it's more nuanced there than it is black and white. But what if we were a church that had normalized conversations for several years and then 2020 hit? God forbid another 2020 happens to us again. But if it does, our hope is that 10 years down the road from now, we so normalize this conversation in a biblical way because the Bible normalizes it. Jesus normalizes it, that we step into it with ease, recognizing, look, this is how this takes place. This is the pathways to what pursuing racial justice looks like. This is the on-ramps. This is the off-ramps. This is what it looks like of having groups. We want to do this as a church. So actually, right after this service, we're on our website. You can go to, we want to live this out. We'll be having a dialogue, a conversation. We'll be sending resources to discuss, and you, you, you uh, do some planning ahead, and you read, and you watch. It may be some resources where you watch. It may be a YouTube video, maybe a few, few different things. And then we're going to come together in a gathering. We're finding out our dates. I think it's around the 28th, 29th, maybe something like that, of this month. Give you some time to look at some of those resources, and they'd come together with all of your preconceived notions with all of your ideas, with all of whatever it may look like in a space where we come together as a church community and listen to one another. We can hear, we can sift out all the drama and say, what does God have for us as a church community? How do we live boldly? How do we live with a witness in this church, in this community? How do we live in such a way that is in line with the gospel. I got one more thing and I'm out of your way. It's not just conversation, it's demonstration. If you wanna check that out though, if you wanna check out the conversation piece and you wanna sign up to be a part of that, it's gonna be on our website. It's gonna be under a tab. I'm gonna give you all the information. We're gonna send out tons of different things this week and you can find out more information. If you wanna know more about that, you can just email me. But it's not just conversation, it's demonstration. See, conversation is just the beginning demonstration it means to live it out it means to actually put hands and feet to what we're talking about god did not just say i love you world look how cute you are all of my races of people just down there living amongst each other look at all of these people you got curly hair we got straight hair look i love you world all the way from heaven He wasn't just talking about it. He says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Some verses of the Bible talks about how he moved, Jesus moved into our neighborhood, came into, put on flesh and lived amongst us. This is what we celebrate around Christmas time, right? God with us. We celebrate and we talk about God being with us, but it's something special that God didn't just talk about it. He was about it. He lived it. He came near to us because I just don't love you from across the street. My love pursues. My love has to go through Samaria. My love is one that doesn't just say allyship and I'm for you and I see you. One of our pastors on staff said, I'm so tired of people telling me, I see you. He said, all this other stuff, I could be going through different things. And he's going through life, in his life and all these other things. And people just, I see you. And it's like this brokenness that's taking place and all these things. Just imagine someone like on the side of the road and like broken blood, all these different things. Like just imagine someone like falling off their one wheel, right? You know what I mean? Just like scraped up, shoulder bleeding. And you're just like, I see you. Okay. Help a brother out. I get that you see me. We got eyes. Awesome. Help me. Help me. Jesus didn't just say, I love you from heaven. He came near to us. So in our own worlds, in our own communities, what does it look like to come near? What does it look like to move beyond just lip service? Because lip service divorced of demonstration is an incomplete gospel. It's an incomplete walk. When you have conversation divorced of demonstration, you have an incomplete walk. God calls us to both. Let it be in our conversation, but church, let it also be in our demonstration. What often stunts us from drawing near, what often stunts our proximity is our privilege. We sit in a place sometimes where we have options I can do that. I can go to Samaria or I can just go around. What Jesus did with his options as a Jewish man in that moment, he could have went around. He had the privilege of going around, but he laid it down. And verse four said, I had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Church, this is my ending point. I'm landing right here. My entire time, my vision, our vision as a church and as a community coming together to the table. If the current racial status quo is antithetical to the gospel, is antithetical to the kingdom of God, is opposite of the message of Jesus, what does it look like to go through Samaria? Individually and as a community, what does that look like? What does it mean for you? As the band continues to make their way to the stage, I want to, Propose that question to you. What does it mean for you to go through Samaria? What does it mean to not sit and allow the status quo to be the determining factor? What does it mean to be a faith community so rooted in Jesus that it's not just something that we talk about but it's something that's lived out? that yes, there are awesome organizations in this world and awesome people that are doing great works, but what does it look like for a faith community to come together? And what Martin Luther King, when he quotes Amos, talks about, of letting justice roll down like a mighty river. What does the pursuit of racial justice look like in our own lives? Because it has to be filled with conversation and demonstration. And as a community, it's our hope that we press into that, that this won't be the only thing, that it just won't be something that checks the box and we feel good and we pat ourselves on the back that our church talked about race. But it's something that is so normalized. It's something that we are so on mission for that people begin to look at our church, at our community, People begin to look at your lives and they wonder what is happening there? Why did they do what they did? Our love is supposed to be looking very different in a time like this. And my call of action to every single one of us is that may we be so on mission for God, so on pursuit of who he is that we recognize it's God, it's Jesus that said, if you wanna find me, If you wanna locate me, yes, I'm everywhere. Yes, I'm omnipresent, but Matthew 25, he says, come, when you fed me, because I was hungry, you clothed me because I didn't have any clothes. I was with the down and out. And when we pursue in this conversation of racial justice, the people who are affected the most, when we get close, when we draw close to one another, we begin to see the fullness of who God is. It's in one another that we begin to see all of who God is. It's not just for diversity's sake that we do this. No, 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 we're not like the world. We do what we do for kingdom's sake, because this is what heaven will be. This is what heaven will look like. We don't talk about diversity for diversity's sake. We talk about diversity because people from different backgrounds and different perspectives gives us a bigger picture of who God is. We see more of him when I move outside of just path one of my homogenous life and living in my suburb house. When I move outside, when I move beyond, when I go into all the earth, come on Bible readers, this is where we begin to see the fullness of who God is. And it, just, it doesn't just impact our relationship with him, but it impacts our relationship with others. There's a song that we're about to sing with one another. And I want you to just hear these words. You can stand up and clap if you want. But I want you to just hear the songs of this, the, the, the lyrics of this next song. The title of this song is called Rescue. And me and Whitney, we just talked about it and we wrestled a little bit of like the lyrics and what does it mean. We we definitely don't want people talking about, I will rescue you. Yes, I'm rescuing you, black person, white person, Hispanic person. I'll rescue you. We don't want that. We don't want that type of mentality. It's, in a lot of ways, God's words to us. about Him rescuing us. But as we sit, we, as we sat, and as we begin to look at lyric after lyric, and one of them saying, there is no distance that cannot be covered Over and over, you are not defenseless. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. These different lyrics that we begin to see, you are not forgotten. You are not hopeless. And Whitney, who's leading us today, she said, what if not only do we see this in a way of God saying this to us and we receive those words, but what if we sat in this moment recognizing this is our words to one another? This is our language and lyrics. No matter who you may be, no matter where you stand on things to one another, if the unity and the power of coming together is in one another, what if it's the lyrics that we sing to one another that there is no distance, that cannot be covered over and over? You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter, I'll be your armor. You're not forgotten, you're not hopeless. Church, we lean into this next moment of worship if you catch nothing else I hope hope simply this that when you look at God's heart and his message for this world and the current status that you decide to do something about that that you decide to see Jesus and let that be in your prayer Jesus break my heart for what breaks yours break my heart for what breaks yours. And may I be a person that just doesn't just sit, but I may I be a person that moves in compassion towards those who I love and my neighbor. I'm going to pray and I want you to sit under those words. Lord, once again, we're in this moment. Some of us it's confusion. Some of us, it's tension. Some of us, it's tough. Some of us, are ready to go. We're ready to do something. Some of us, were are wondering, what is my next step? Some of us are in this place of, this is good, but it's hard. Some of us are in a place of not knowing our next step. But Lord, you are with us in this moment. You are compelling us. And day by day, I pray that the words that you had to go through Samaria seep into our soul to recognize we are called to conversation and demonstration we have to we have to Lord you are calling us to not a want to not a a maybe not an option but we have to let those words be what we take away today that it's no longer an option and we choose path two of courage and of bravery in Jesus name I pray you